This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Top of the morning to you. I'm losing my voice. By Thursday, I usually am losing my voice. Screaming at my children, left and right. Hey, great uh, day for you today. Um, man, interesting news. They may have a lead on that Malaysian flight. Holy cow, finally. What is it, 500 days later? Wow, isn't that amazing? A plane flies out, falls out of the sky somewhere and we can't find it for 500 days, $100 million. Um, crazy stuff there. But then here's the thing. I have learned a brand new word today. In fact, Kathy, have you ever heard of the word doxing? Doxing? Mm-hmm. Have not. It's like boxing with a do. Do- I think it's a doctor boxing. <laughs> it's uh, doxing. Two people of now that we know of, in, I mean, in the recent days in the news have been, uh, you know, have been doxers uh, a do- doxing is the internet based practice of researching and broadcasting personal identifiable information about an individual hmm. for example donald trump took lindsey graham's phone number published it to the world and that's doxing doxing oh who uh, came up with that word uh i don't know some <laughs> some really weird people it's after the word document so it's an abbreviation for document. So, but then Mia Farrow just did it apparently, um, f- because because of the shooting, the dentist that shot Cecil or Cecil, the lion. She then apparently posted his business address, but some people thought it was his home address, but it was his business address, mm-hmm. and then it created this major backlash, a lot of Twitter hate, and that was doxing. Doxing, interesting. But it scares me because. It's this cyber vigilantism. This this could get crazy because now all of a sudden, if your enemy in any form, in political or just if they don't like that you don't like cat videos, for example, <laughs> they could now start posting your very personal information. So That's scary. What's your phone number, Matt? <laughs> 1-855-422-CHAT. No, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. That's my home number. <laughs> One eight five five chat BYU. So cyber vigilantism, and all of a sudden, so you know, when Donald Trump did it, we thought, oh, that's just <laughs> that's aggressive, cute, quaint. But this is a big deal because now, do you remember that whole website that I hate the company, um, Ashley Madison, right? The affair company where they set you up for to go have affairs. Mm-hmm. Um, so all all of that information now is in the hands of these cyber vigilantes. And they could just start posting that left and right. In fact, sending you emails to your wife and your family and your kids. and Could that blow up huge or and what? And this, this is something that could happen anywhere. Yeah. So, you know, we ought to have some backlash about that. Folks need to be careful. Don't be – I mean, the minute you're doing that, I get it. You're mad about the lion being shot. Mm-hmm. I get that. Mm-hmm. But you got to have some rules. Right. Where does this end? Holy the cow. The federal government will get involved somehow. Yeah, well, right? that'll, <laughs> that'll we'll be jump great. Because the federal government already had has been hacked and released 21 million mm-hmm. names and 
Anyway, uh, anyway, let's go to the headlines, find out what Kathy's got for us. Debris from an airplane found washed up on an island in the Indian Ocean may be from the Malaysia Airlines flight that went missing last year. French authorities are studying part of a wing they think may be from a Boeing 777, the same type of plane that vanished without a trace with 230 passengers and crew on board. Investigators say there's a high degree of certainty the piece is from that missing plane. Here's Australia's Prime Minister, Warren Truss. This is obviously... Uh, a very significant development. It's the first uh, real evidence that there is a possibility that a part of the aircraft may have been found. Uh, it's too early to make that judgment, uh, but clearly we are treating this as a, as a, as a major lead. A white University uh, of Cincinnati police officer has been indicted on murder charges after he allegedly shot and killed a black man during a traffic stop near campus on July 19th. County prosecutors say Officer Ray Tenzing purposely killed the man after losing his temper. Tenzing could face life in prison if convicted. Three fraternity brothers and graduates from the University of Virginia are suing Rolling Stone magazine over a gang rape story. They're also suing the journalist Sabrina Erdley for the piece that has since been retracted after a a review found it profoundly flawed. The story said a woman was raped by seven fraternity members back in 2012 at the Phi Kappa Psi fraternity house. Though none of the fraternity brothers were named in the article, the men are seeking over $75,000 for mental anguish and emotional distress. The complaint states the men were humiliated after they were presumed to be participants in the alleged assault. Rolling Stone's managing editor, Will Dana, is stepping down on August 7th. A new poll shows Donald Trump still leads among GOP presidential candidates. The Quinnipiac University poll shows Trump with 20 percent of the vote, followed by Scott Walker at 13 percent and Jeb Bush at 10 percent. 30 percent of the Republican voters, however, say there is no way they'd vote for Trump, the highest number of any GOP candidate. On the Democratic side, Hillary Clinton has a huge lead over Bernie Sanders, 55 percent to just 17. Even with that lead, Clinton scored the worst ever as far as favorability, just 40 percent of likely voters approve of her, while 51 percent disapprove. Demonstrators have been protesting at the office of the Minnesota dentist who killed a protected lion in Zimbabwe. Walter Palmer said he thought the hunt was legal, but one of the guides he paid over $50,000 to has been charged with poaching. Due to the outrage, Palmer has been forced to shut the doors of his practice. He's also facing it. He is not facing a trial, though. But U.S. fish and wildlife officials say they'll assist Zimbabwe if needed. After the NFL announced Tom Brady's four-game suspension was being upheld over Deflategate, the New England Patriots are fighting back. Yesterday, team owner Robert Kraft said he was wrong to agree to accept the league's penalties and said the NFL got this one wrong. I was wrong to put my faith in the league. There are those in the league office who are more determined to prove that they were right rather than admit any culpability of their own or take any responsibility for the initiation of a process and ensuing investigation that was flawed. The league said Brady destroyed his cell phone, which could have provided evidence in the case. Brady continues to claim his innocence and has authorized the players' union to appeal his case in federal court. And Matt, what would you pay for a piece or pieces Mm. of Olympic history? Jim Craig, the goaltender for the U.S. during the Miracle on Ice back in 1980, he's selling 19 pieces from the Lake Placid Games for the bargain price of $5.7 million. 19 pieces of what? Here's what you get. His shattered... 
His, face mask. His game jersey from oh, the 4-3 wow. win over the Soviet Union. Yeah. His gold medal, the famous American flag he draped over his shoulders in yeah. the winning game against Finland. Now, those three things alone have been appraised at more than a million dollars apiece. So also included, yet yeah, the goalie mask, his skates, the stick, the outfit he wore in the opening ceremonies, and his Olympic ring. Oh, yeah. He insists everything is sold together so one person could buy it and continue to display it. He just may need the money. I don't know. That's a great deal. Yeah. You That's think? five point seven million. Oh, yeah. You'd pay that? Oh, yeah. In fact, <laughs> Ben, go to my office and get my checkbook. I'm buying some Jim Craig stuff. It's the second drawer, right? So, how did you know that? <laughs> He's got your personal information. It's right next to my mints, my breath mints. Sweet. Hey, would you pay $5.7 million? I would. No that, that's worth it. That no. stuff's worth it. You think? Oh, that goalie jersey. Oh, it was took? awesome. I mean, that and, was the greatest game ever. And the mask, come on, and the flag. Yeah, the, oh, the flag would be cool. People I, would I pay, would for, pay that. for that. That would be cool. Yeah. But plus just, you know, I always thought that was weird, like when – a rock singer, or whatever, would wipe his sweaty brow and then oh. throw that handkerchief or whatever <laughs> yes. out. Like it, Tom Jones. Tom Jones. Engelbert Humperdinck, remember him? Oh, I remember Engelbert. What a guy. <laughs> um, is he still alive? I'm sure he is. I think he is. But if somebody threw a wet, sweaty hanky at me, I'd be dodging that thing. <laughs> is that you just rude? Give it to your wife. <laughs> yeah, my wife <laughs> would <you> love <laughs> that. Here you go, honey, a wet, sweaty hanky. By the way, did you hear about the Redskins? This is interesting. The Washington Redskins are claiming that 7.8 billion people followed their training camp. Isn't that amazing? Because no. You mean million? No, billion. Because there's only 7.2 billion people on the earth. <laughs> okay. I say that number doesn't that sound right. That is a right. lot of <laughs> – That's outside. a lot of people. Yeah. It's uh, it's those darn um, it's those darn extraterrestrials that are coming in to follow our Redskins. Yeah, that new planet they found that is kind of similar to Earth. Maybe that's where they're getting that number from. <laughs> so, you know what? They have got to fix the immigration problem. I know because they're immigrating from other planets just to catch a, Wa- a Washington Redskins game. Yeah, they might want to go back and check their numbers. <laughs> I think their numbers Make are a little bit off. M, yep. Interesting stuff. Well done, Kathy. Hey, we got a great uh, topic coming up. Eric Heyer is going to be joining us. Uh, he's a professor here at uh, BYU uh, in the Department of Political Science and is um, an expert in Asian studies. We wanted to bring him in and talk China. All of the time we hear our, you know, all of our political leaders, everybody's always saying what a threat China is and how they're stealing jobs and they're just killing us. So we wanted to talk to Eric, find out what's really going on with China. Are they a threat? Do they see us as a threat? And what is the future of our relationship with the United States and China? Talking China, folks. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, in studio with us today is Dr. Eric Heyer. He's an associate professor and coordinator for Asian studies here at Brigham Young University. You know, we hear so much in the news, whether it's our politicians talking about all the jobs going to China or the threat of uh, the Chinese military or human rights issues in China. 
we wanted to kind of clarify it and bring uh, Dr. Heyer in to, to give us the inside scoop of really what's going on in China. Should we be as afraid of them as some make us feel? And um, are, are they a threat? And what do they think of the United States and and just and us as, as a people? So we wanted to bring him in. Dr. Eric Heyer, thanks for joining us. You've been on the show, the morning show before. You're a pro. I have. You're a pro. <laughs> well, well, welcome we'll, back. We'll see. <laughs> Good to have you here. So, China is it? Is it the threat that some purport it to be? It's is it as dangerous as we're hearing? Uh, really, no. I mean, you know, the China threat theory uh, always gets traction with people who are looking for the next boogeyman. Yeah. But uh, we have to realize that while China's uh, grown dramatically over the last uh, three decades uh, and now is the number two economy in the world, um, when, you, when you parse that, uh, China per capita is way behind the United States in terms of income. Its military is, is, is a fraction of the size of the American military. Mm. The money it spends on the military is, is a fraction of what the United States spends on its military. And the reach of its military around the world is very limited still. Um, but China is rising and China is becoming more powerful. So many people sort of anticipate the horizon and become a little bit nervous about what China would become when it is as powerful as the United States, when it, when it is as wealthy as the United States. Uh, will it challenge the United States for superiority? Uh, will it challenge the United States in terms of uh, U.S. interests in East Asia, our close and very important alliance with Japan, yeah. South Korea, our interest in the South China Sea in terms of shipping and trade are all, are all areas that China is also very sensitive about. And so uh, when you look forward, you see you know, there's a mix. We, we're not going to be the most friendly nations. We're not going to necessarily be enemies either. Is it is – because it, we were talking earlier and you were talking about there really hasn't been a similar uh, strength or growing strength of a country – like China that we're seeing now since the United States after World War II. We were, we, are, we, we were growing strong like they were. We were that powerful force. Sure. I mean, from, you know, from, the, from the late 1800s onward, the United States was growing dramatically and, 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 and by the early 1900s had surpassed all of the European nations. Uh, World War II was a demonstration of American power. And then World War II really put a, an exclamation mark on U.S. power. At that time, the only challenge to the United States was really the Soviet Union. Right. That was an ideological challenge and a military challenge, not much of an economic challenge. But now China presents sort of a new challenge. China uh, is economically much more powerful than the Soviet Union ever was. Apparently, it's- they own all of the United States. <laughs> That's what we keep hearing, right? So clarify that. I mean, they have a lot of money, right? They do have a lot of money, and they're, they're invest- increasingly investing in, in different companies. There are certain laws on the books in the United States that prevent the Chinese from buying into industries which we consider uh, related to national security and defense policy. So, you know, the high-tech sector, computer chips and things like that, uh, when Chinese show interest in purchasing these, these kinds of companies, the, the, the government can step in and say, no, that's, that's not allowed. Uh, and so they do watch that carefully. But in other areas, China, in terms of solar technology, battery technology, which is becoming increasingly yeah, huge, important in, right. in the automobile industry and, and uh, heating our homes, 
providing electricity for our homes and things like that. China has really put a lot of investment in that area. And so they are extremely competitive and in many cases uh, outcompeting U.S. companies mm. in these, these, these most uh, advanced sectors. Also in pirating. <laughs> Yes, uh, yes, information or technology or sure. I mean, I guess a lot of our videos and stuff like that. I know there's a lot of trademark issues. With That's China. always been an issue. Uh, you know, I was just recently in China, came back just a week ago, and you know, on the streets you can buy uh, buy pirated videos, you can buy knockoff clothing and things like that. Um, that is a constant problem. It that is not a government policy. The government in China tries to put its its thumb down on that, mm. but that's difficult because every mom and pop little shop, some places burning a new CD yeah, or right. sewing a new right. shirt with a Van Heusen label or something like that. Um, but but we have to realize this also impacts Chinese. Chinese themselves complain about this. Chinese yeah. are increasingly concerned about poor quality products, uh, fake products. Uh, they're concerned. Uh, local Chinese artists and producers of Chinese products are worried about their products being oh, ripped sure, up true. also. Yeah. So this is really beginning to pinch the Chinese economy itself. And so uh, even the Chinese entrepreneurs and artists and things are interested in the government cracking down on this. And so they're making making headway. Uh, just to illustrate, a good friend of mine, a Chinese man, who's a big – he's a legal counsel for a, for a large online shopping center in China. It's the number two to next to Alibaba, which is the biggest one. Yeah. And one of the – some of the biggest products they sell are infant formula, di- infant diapers, things like that. Because Chinese are simply – have no confidence in the local – manufacturers and the quality control. So they import enormous amounts of, oh, really? of infant formula and diapers and all kinds of stuff from Australia, the United States, and they sell this online. And, and he says that's their biggest, fastest moving item. Just because it's not safe, they don't trust it. Exactly. And so Chinese themselves are putting pressure on the government to hmm. crack down on shoddy manufacturing, fake labeling, and things like that. And you know, it's like you know, go back to the 1920s in the United States. Read something like Upton Sinclair, The Jungle, and, yeah, and look right. how the media industry in the United States was was, was the, and and the problems we had. China is developed much faster than the United States, so they've had to deal with these problems. Uh, you know, in a very it really self, way. it sounds like it's it's kind of it's self correcting. It was uh, it was young, it was immature, it was growing too fast. In the long run, it will be self-correcting because China them, Chinese themselves realize if they don't become more innovative, if they don't take care of their pollution problems, if they don't take care of their corruption problems, the economy is not gonna is not gonna move forward, and they won't mm. be competitive. So the Chinese themselves are very conscious of this, and they're working very vigorously to try to clap another clap down on corruption argument. We hear is all the jobs are going there because you know they'll work for nothing. Well, I don't know if American jobs are going to China. Well, Trump says they're going to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> all the all the American jobs, all the manufacturing, going all the somewhere. Manu- all the manufacturing jobs were were gone before China ever came on the scene. They went. <laughs> don't to the, blame China. They went to the Japanese. Yeah. They went to the Indians. They went to the Mexicans. Um, uh, this, you know, uh, Americans oftentimes think, "Oh, wow, they're stealing our jobs." Mm-hmm. Well. Fine. Do you want to pay $100, $200 for a pair of Nike shoes or do you want to pay $50 for a pair of Nike shoes? Right. You know, if Americans make those shoes for you, they're a couple hundred dollars a pair because wages are high. If you want to bear a 50, buy a $50 pair of Nike shoes, let the Chinese make let them. Let the Chinese make them. So, I mean, in terms of for me personally as a consumer, I'm not 
too worried about that because I get cheap prices at at, at, at Walmart. It pays off, really. Uh, if I if the Chinese had to pay American wages and if they had to maintain American standards in industry, uh, prices at Walmart would go would go through the roof, Absolutely. and we wouldn't have. So as consumers, we benefit from this. Yeah. Uh, now, overall, the economy it puts us in a in a disadvantage because we have we buy more from China than they buy from us. So so uh, we have a trade deficit. Which, yeah. And, and again, that's a big topic. Like we've got to fix the trade deficit. That puts a huge amount of money in Chinese banks, and Chinese don't like to sit that money, watch that money just sit there. And so they what do they do? They come back and they invest in the United States. Mm. They buy U.S. companies. They invest in. Uh, projects in the United States. And and, and in a way, that's good also because there's a simple economic principle that money out has to equal money in. If we send dollars to the United States, what are they? To, to, I'm sorry, to China. If we send dollars to China and buy their products, what do they do with those dollars? Yeah, they got to do well, something with it. Bring it they back. They come back to the United States and they buy U.S. products. They invest in the United States. They prop up uh, weak industries. Yeah. Uh, so it's very complicated, but but on the emotional level, yes, it appeals to people that oh, the Chinese are stealing our jobs, and I lost my job down at the local washing machine manufacturing mm-hmm. company because well, actually, it was not China that took that job; it was Korea, the LG company. That's for true. <laughs> LG is the, the, I, one of my favorite dishwashers. What I always tell uh, Americans to think about: is, look at the brands. Yeah. Uh, what Chinese brand do you see? Can yeah, you think no, of really, them? No. Well, I, I guess Daihatsu was that Chinese? No, nope, Korean. Is that Korean? Because uh, Samsung Korean. Uh, yeah, LG uh, Korean. Kia, Kia Korea, Korean. Hyundai Korean. Hyundai Korean. Do you drive any Chinese cars? It's the Koreans. Yeah. That's who's killing do us. See, Eric. Do you see any cherry cars on the street? Isn't that true? Though uh, you don't. You know, the, uh, and the one that surprises Americans: the only Chinese product that they may see more of is uh, Lenovo, the computer mm-hmm. company. But yeah. guess what? That was the IBM laptop that the Chinese bought, and the IBM required them to change the name from IBM. So they bought the company from IBM, so it really is an which, IBM was spinning, which was spinning it off anyway because right. IBM wasn't competitive with laptops. They were you know, big mainframe yeah. types. And, and, and so the Chinese bought it up, and, and, and so now there's, a, there's another competitor in the market to compete with Dell, which is produced in China, by the way, and iPhone. But Dell, <laughs> an American company produced in China. Yeah, produced in China. And you know what? Uh, the big company in China that produces iPhones, iPads, et cetera, is actually a Taiwanese company located in mainland China for, for, for labor cost purposes. Oh, my heavens. See, we're blowing up the myths. That's what I wanted. <laughs> Eric Heyer is joining us. Dr. Eric Heyer, right here from Brigham Young University, associate professor and coordinator for Asian studies at BYU. We're going to take a break, come back, continue blowing up some of the myths. Plus, I want to find out what they think about us. Do they just think we're just a bunch of overweight you know, self-centered, loud-talking extroverts. We'll find out. More with Dr. Eric Heyer right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us in the studio is Dr. Eric Heyer, Associate Professor and Coordinator for Asian Studies here at BYU. He is a a professor in the Department of Political Science and uh, a coordinator for Asian Studies. He's he's giving us the inside scoop on China. You know, we're so... we, We get enough information to just hurt ourselves. 
it seems like we hear about, you know, we all hear about the jobs supposedly being exported to China. But Dr. Heyer made a really good point that how many companies do you know that are Chinese companies, name brand companies, and the cost of doing goods, that's another big problem out there, and China can beat us on uh, labor costs. But uh, he's here to help us understand, are they as big of a threat as we think they are? Um, so, Dr. Heyer, thanks for being here. I'm happy to be here. It's insightful, and anything I think we can do to just become more educated. We're we're fairly naive to – China's a big place with a lot of complicated politics, and we're not getting the full scoop. Like I was asking you about Tibet in the break, and we know that there's been a lot of human um, rights issues between China and Tibet, and – we, you know, Richard Gere is mad. All these people are mad, and the Dalai Lama's here. And, but I'm going to bet most people don't have a clue what's really going on with the Tibet-China issue. Well, Tibet is, is simply historically uh, and politically so complicated; it's hard in a few minutes to to uh, to explain it. But I think it's important for listeners to understand that the United States agrees and recognizes that Tibet is part of China. They have done that since 1911. So we're, we, we agree with China. We agree with China. Tibet is, Tibet part, is of China. part of China. Where we disagree and disagree vehemently is that the Chinese uh, uh, deny Tibetans uh, religious liberties and cultural rights that we think uh, are, are simple, simply civil liberties uh, you know, that, that government should not deny us. Um, which means that uh, uh, monasteries in Tibet are, 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 are tightly controlled by the, by the Communist Party and the government. Uh, the number of lamas that can go there is controlled. Their, their freedom of expression, freedom of practice of religion is severely constrained. And, and cultural practices are also constrained because Tibetan culture and religion, it's hard to d- dissect yeah. the two. It's not like American culture and Christianity are somehow related but different. Tibetan culture and Tibetan religion is, is almost it's one of the, the same, same thing. thing. The Dalai Lama represents Tibet. He's the symbolism of Tibet. And yet he really – He doesn't, he doesn't is, live in Tibet. Yeah, he lives he's in all India because he's the, in yeah. exile. He fled China in 1959 and has not been able to return. Uh, the Dalai Lama himself also says that he's not advocating the independence of Tibet and, uh, but does want the Chinese to, uh, to, to give them more cultural and religious liberties. Um, for example, the, the photograph of the Dalai Lama is not allowed to be shown or possessed in Tibet. But interesting enough, I was recently in a Tibetan monastery. This is actually in Yunnan province, uh, which is part of China, close to the Tibetan border. And it's a region which is a Tibetan inhabited region, which used to be part of Tibet, but we can't go into that long, complicated history. And I was shocked to see that the Dalai Lama's picture was being uh, Hmm. displayed. And I took some pictures of it for my evidence, and I started – I engaged a young monk. He was probably 17, 18 years old and said, you know, what, what's the deal here? I thought this was against the law. He goes, well, it used to be – we didn't used to be able to allow, allowed to show the picture of the Dalai Lama, but now we can. And that's in this monastery, but in Tibet itself, that may not oh, be allowed. Interesting. But this is the funny side note. I tried to engage him in a discussion on that, and he was really not interested in discussing it. He pulled out his MBA magazine, and he wanted to talk about MBA. He says, are you from the West or the Eastern part of the United States? I says, I'm from the West. Oh, the West. Oh, Kobe Bryant. The Jazz. East, LeBron James. I says, well, I'm from Salt Lake City. Oh, Jazz. And he immediately knew. Are you kidding me? And, 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 and this I, is a Tibetan monk? This is a Tibetan monk. And uh, I just thought That's to myself, great. oh, you know, this is like any average deacon or teacher, Mormon right. deacon or teacher who, who passes the sacrament, but he'd rather be looking at his MBA magazine Isn't or, that or, 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 or texting his friends or something like that. See, church. that's what we're exporting. 
Tibet's exporting uh, oh, yeah. the Dalai Lama, and we're exporting the sure. NBA. The NBA has, uh, has re- is really big in China. Uh, That's uh, great. You know, uh, some people were, said, oh, you know, when Yao Ming came and some of these other players, that oh, the Chinese are going to take over the NBA. I said, no, no, no. <laughs> the NBA has taken over China. Isn't that amazing? It's just – it's very popular and, and big. And uh, I have a friend that worked for the NBA as a lawyer, and his biggest task was chasing down people who were knocking off NBA products exactly. and stuff like that. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> See, so isn't that uh, – an interesting thing, the, the complications or the and just the confusion around Tibet. But another thing I think we're a little, I don't know, not clear on. It seems like China's going to take us over military, mil, militaristic, mil, militarily, I guess is the word. They're going to eventually own us. Uh, I, that, they're, they're, they're creating they're creating land in the seas, South Seas. They're own, they're gonna they're gonna get us. It'll be a long, long time before the Chinese ever compete with the United States head to head militarily. But you mentioned this the South China Sea. This is an area that I that I focus my research on, and territorial disputes in the South China Sea are a serious problem. Yeah, uh, uh, listeners need to remember that it's not just the Chinese; it's the Vietnamese, it's the Filipinos, it's the Malaysians, it's the people from Brunei, Dar es Salaam, and it's even Taiwan. They all have islands that they claim in the South China Sea. The United Nations law on the sea doesn't recognize any of those claims, but each one of those countries have set up little kind of mini bases, built a runway on a, on a sandbar, mm. positioned some military there in a barracks. Like trying to extend their property line? Yeah, they, they, they dredge the sea and kind of build the island a little bit larger and, and build a longer runway. And, and the Chinese have been doing that lately. It's hit, got a lot of news, but the Vietnamese have done it in the past. The Filipinos have done it. The mm. Malaysians have done it. The Taiwanese have all done it. The United States' position is that there must be freedom of navigation through the South China Sea. This is a major, this is a major sea lane of yeah. communication. Think of all the exports from Asia that go to Europe, all the oil from the Middle East that comes to Asia. They've got to have 70% that open. 70% of world trade goes through the South China Sea. Now, the United States' principle is this is an open sea. There's freedom of navigation. No one can block us from doing that. So we sail our, our uh, you know, battleships through to demonstrate Keep to other countries Keep, that, yeah. hey, look it. You know, we are doing what we yeah. have the right to do. And the Chinese get antsy and they kind of challenge us and they come out and look at us. Huh. And, and so there is the potential for sort of this, uh, you know, we're playing chicken on the high seas. And, you know, boats don't turn very quick. They yeah. don't stop on a dime. And the, uh, the, the potential for collision or for mishap is really high. And so one of the challenges the United States and China has right now is military to military communication and setting sort of the ground rules for mm. the games that are played in the South China Sea. How close can you come? When you're, when you're called out, do you have to back off? Things like that. And, and we're working those out with the Chinese. But they, they believe that uh, because they, have this, they claim this land in the South China Sea, they have some jurisdiction over what happens there. Right. We're saying, no, 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 no. These, these islands are not yours. The, the South China Sea is, is like the, any other ocean that we can freely travel through. And there's what we call freedom, innocent passage. And, and, and so we continue to assert that right, and the Chinese continue to push their view of hmm. things. And, and we have big differences. What's the, what, what are the relationships like between the other Asian countries and China? Are they? Um, I assume they're intimidated. Intimidated is a good word. Uh, Vietnam, Philippines, Malaysia, even Singapore are all to some degree intimidated by the rapid rise of China and the economic power of China and the influence China is gaining over Southeast Asia. Now – 
The other side of that equation, though, is that these countries have all become much more willing to embrace the United States. The Philippines is much more interested in a, in a, in a closer military relationship. Yeah. Vietnam and China, heavens, we're, we're, we're best friends now. <laughs> That's right. And, and you think, you know, what? It, wasn't, uh, it was only a few decades ago that we were killing each That's other. That's right. And now we think, they think we're their best friend because they, they want us brother. to— Yeah, they want us to— And I was in Vietnam, and, and the feelings among Vietnam, Vietnamese towards Americans is completely— uh, very, very pro-American. They wow. were happy to see us there. Yeah. They, they were very nice. There was no one ever brought up, you bad, evil yeah. Americans were killed. No one ever brought that up. And I traveled around Vietnam for a week just recently, and, 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 and that issue never came up. They were always about, oh, those Chinese are on the move, and we need to stick together to confront those big Chinese. They, 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 they claim some of our islands, and they claim some of our sea, and, and we want you to help us protect it. And so we now give military assistance to Vietnam and, and other things like that. Um, talk, about the, talk about the economics. Um, we, Donald Trump and others have claimed how China's playing with the economy. They're playing with the dollar. They're there is always, you know, and, and this become, this is so complicated. I just don't know that we could even do this in a short morning show. Um, there is this issue of, of Chinese, what we call currency manipulation, that the Chinese uh, keep their currency artificially uh, weak so that American products are expensive to Chinese and Chinese products are cheap for the United States. Mm-hmm. We always address that issue with the Chinese, but we have to realize that the, China, the value of the Chinese currency over the last four years has risen by about 25%. Hmm. Three years ago, I used to get eight Chinese RMB to my U.S. dollar. When I was there last week, I got six RMB to my U.S. dollar, which meant that everything I bought in China, including my bowl of noodles for lunch, was more expensive. So not only was the exchange rate not good for me, is not as good as it used to be, but also just the cost of living in China going up. So it's become much more expensive for me to live and work in China than it was. Now, Chinese products uh, have become marginally more expensive, but this is a complicated economic issue, and there are real differences of opinion among economists over whether or not the Chinese really manipulate this. Okay. The Chinese currency is not a freely exchanged currency like the United States, so it doesn't float up and down. Uh, and they're moving in that direction. But the Chinese economy has a big impact on the U.S. economy. Just think, you know, while I was there in China over the last month, the Chinese uh, stock market tanked. It went, they lost three quarters of their oh, value. I know. My friends in China were like, crap, I can't retire now. I just <laughs> lost my, my retirement. Um, the government has intervened in the market to try to prop it up, which is a bad thing. Uh, government should stay clear of the markets, not the markets right. correct themselves. Uh, but the Chinese are kind of freaked out by this. Um, it sends shutters through. But look at what's happened to the U.S. stock market. It's kind of declined a little yeah. bit because everybody looks, ooh, the Chinese market's in decline. It's struggling. Here if we ch- go. If the Chinese don't buy as much, yeah. if, they don't ha- if, they don't, if the Chinese economy is not dynamic, yeah, then how does that impact yeah. our economy? There's the global marketplace, right? Uh, it's a global marketplace, and everything's tied together. And if the Chinese stop building roads and highways and railroads and buildings, they don't uh, oh. they don't consume as much cement and steel and yeah, things and slow down. Building products, and if Chinese lose their jobs, they don't buy as many iPhones. They don't buy as as many American products. That you know, That's true. Uh, Chinese like to buy high end products. Wealthy Chinese love to buy high end products. What percentage are wealthy? Uh, China has, has, has a growing middle class now. Uh, China has brought millions and millions of people out of poverty, and China now has a big growing, class, growing middle class. When you go to Chinese cities today, it's just simply astounding that over the last few decades, 
people I knew who were living, you know, hand to mouth in a small little apartment now have a nice apartment. They have a they have a car. They go to Disneyland on vacation mm. with their kids. Wow. And, I mean, friends of mine who live in Beijing have apartments that I would die to have in New York City. Uh, my One of my friends told me that, yeah, I just bought my second car. I have a Volvo. My wife has an Accord. We have a nanny. We went to Disneyland on vacation. I'm going like, dude, how wow. are lawyers are doing okay in China, aren't they? He's a, and he's a Chinese-educated person who's just made his way. So there's this new- it's happening. There's this new emerging middle class, very sophisticated, very connected with the international That's culture great. and media, very savvy on pop culture- uh, they know, you know, the Chinese control their their social media, but they know how to jump over what we call the firewall. Yeah, there's something called yeah. a VPN, which uh, I don't know what VPN stands for. Or something. <laughs> it's we a don't technical know. Term. We're, we're but clueless. If you have a VPN, essentially you're connecting to a server outside okay. of China, and so you can get on Facebook, you can get on Google. Oh, so now they're can... all getting those. Oh yeah, and they all they all have that, and the Chinese have pretty much let the this this elite attentive class of middle class upper class people do that because. It, it has economic implications. Design people in China, economic people, mar, uh, you know, traders and stuff in China. They, we need to be connected to the global economy. Yeah. If, you, if you shut down the internet, if you control the internet, we don't know what the trends are. We can't redesign products to be more appealing. We can't access resources we need. So um, the Chinese uh, have, have, have allowed that to go on. Uh, it's important for Americans to know that, that there are mo- more sc- movie screens in China than the United States by a long shot. Are there really? And Chinese love American movies. So all, that's... The, all the big movies show there. And in fact, I think the most recent big hit in the United States, I forget the name of it now. Was it Inside Out? Uh, it was probably a Marvel one. It was one, or... one of these. Mar- it was a yeah. Marvel one. Yes, it was the, uh, the mo- mo- recent Marvel one. Made, uh, made more money in China than the United States. Did it really? So, so yeah. now what's Hollywood, probably. So what's Hollywood saying? They're saying, look, if we don't have the Chinese market, Interesting. we don't make the money to make these big blockbuster movies. Well, so, so we've, we've only got about two more minutes. But So it sounds like um, as the market goes, the democracy is going too. Well, isn't it? This is a big question. I mean, you know, Americans oftentimes think in their minds this is the economy becomes more liberal and more open and more free market economy. Well, and that they're into the, our social media. The, and democracy into... couldn't be far behind, right? Yeah, you'd think. But the Communist Party has really kept a tight handle on this. China is clearly a single party dictatorship. In the last month, they've cl- cracked down. They've they've arrested over 250 human rights lawyers. Oh wow! And many of those are still in jail. This is a big issue yeah. right now in China. The the Communist Party is concerned that that uh, their their legitimacy will be eroded, much like happened in the Soviet Union in mm-hmm. Eastern Europe, and so they are hanging on tight. And yeah. they are they are they are they are going after human rights lawyers. They are going after people who are who 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 engage in social media protests and things like that. The most unique case recently was a group of five women who were put in jail for social unrest. And you know what they were doing? What? They were actually going in and using men's public lavatories to protest the inadequacies of women's latrines and Compared men's latrines. men's latrines. And say, we're waiting long, we wait in long lines and men don't have to. So they started using men's latrines and started demonstrations. And they're in jail. And the Chinese picked them up and says, hey, this is creating social unrest. You're in jail now. Huh. Wow. And then the civil rights lawyers come and start defending yeah. their civil liberties. And then protest, they got to go. And then they're in jail. So in a nutshell, as we wrap it up, again, Dr. Eric Heyer uh, is the coordinator for Asian studies here at BYU. What should just the average American's feeling, view, perception of China be? What should that look like? That, that, that the United States and China 
at a fundamental level, have common interests in global security, global resources, environmental concerns, and we must cooperate. But on other areas, we do compete. We compete economically. We will compete militarily. So it's not friend versus or foe. foe. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we, there are areas Partner, where we cooperate. Kind of, yeah. and there are areas where it's, it's, it's natural that two great powers have differences, but it's also important to understand that two great powers cooperate. We cooperate on the climate issue, we cooperate on global trade issues, we cooperate on North Korean nuclear proliferation. Mm-hmm. We just got done cooperating very closely on the Iran nuclear yeah, right. issue and, and, and put a lid on that. So we need to cooperate with the Chinese. They have to cooperate with us, but we do compete with each other in many other areas. And, and it's a matter of learning how to manage that relationship. It's like, it's like a family. You learn how to uh, get along with That's each right. other and, 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 and talk through problems and, and, and don't, go to come, don't, don't go to blows. And if it it ever gets bad, we just send an NBA team over, <laughs> right? Yeah. As ambassadors. That yeah. would shut them up. Well, Eric Heyer, we appreciate you. Again, Dr. Eric Heyer, associate professor um, here at in the Department of Political Science at Brigham Young University and the coordinator for Asian Studies. Great insight, folks. Not friend. I mean, friend or foe. They're, they're kind of both. That's, you know what? That seems like pretty much everybody. Good stuff. Maybe also not somebody to fear so much. Maybe just let's go try to understand a little bit better. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, my friends. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, what a fun uh, discussion about China. We really don't, we don't understand. Think about it. If you're getting most of your information from just, you know, your regular news source, you got two minutes of a story that might have something to do with China. But as I sat here with Dr. Heyer, who goes to China regularly and um, studies it, you sit there and you realize that every issue, like we brought up the South China Seas, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's huge. That's There's a lot to that. There's so much going on. So every time you hear about a a stand down between the United States and and the Chinese Navy, there's it's it's a weird, you know, we, we think there's amazing, incredible tension. And some of this is just – it just happens in the South China Seas. That's the only place that that tension's going on. But we don't even understand it. When we talk about Tibet, we don't understand it. And in our world and in our culture, the loudest voice gets all the attention. And we throw out these statements like our politicians might throw out about you know how they're playing with the currency. China's playing with the currency. Again – that is a discussion that if we actually had the discussion for the hour and a half it would take to thoroughly explore that, guess what? You'd probably understand a little bit better what's going on and understand that playing with currency can benefit both sides of the equation, right? Anyway, one of the rules then, I guess, when it comes to China and any, but anything, and so be thinking about this as you're just trying to interact with the world, is always identify that it's more complex than any of us make it. We have to assume complexity. China is not just an enemy, 
and it's not just a friend. And they might be, you know, stealing a lot of videos and pirating them. And as a country, they really are trying to stop that because that's impacting their bottom line. Notice the complexity. And they're not doing a good enough job yet. And certain people are losing millions or billions of dollars because of pirating. And the government's trying to crack down on it. So I don't know. We always think black, white, good, bad. And the reality of China is it sounds like they they like us. And they don't just like us to use us. They like us to actually – they like what we like. They like the media we like. They like watching the sports we like. And we're influencing them just as much as they're influencing us. Are you kidding me? The NBA is one of the most important things in the culture. It's just – it's interesting. So to the degree that you can fear China, you might also be able to fear America. And we've got a really powerful role there. So to me, I love bringing on guests like that. And you'll see a lot more of them and, or hear a lot more of them on the show because that's our new direction is just giving you more tools, more information. You never get a 35-minute interview with an expert in China. Where do you ever get that? And some of you are like, well, I don't want that. Let's talk about Donald Trump. <laughs> okay, we'll get you one of those too. Hey, uh, we'll get some psychologist or something. Hey, we're going to take a break, my friends. Hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. It's in the can. Done. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you uh, find the good in the world. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Top of the morning to you. I hope you're having a great uh, commute. Some of you are just, you know, you've probably already been working five hours. Like me. Not five hours. I got a great night's sleep. I easily slept six hours. (laughs) That's a record for you. It feels so good. Wow. It's amazing what sleep can do. We've got to talk more about sleep. You can do well on six hours? No. But it's better than the three I had the night before. Oh, three. I don't know how you do that. I don't either. I'm, I mean, it's scary. I'm actually falling asleep everywhere. I feel like an 80-year-old man. Seriously, I got to get to my brunch because I got to take – I got to be to bed by eight. You have to have your four-year-old – your four-in-the-afternoon dinner, right? Your 4 uh-huh. p.m. dinner. Like it's crazy. I was I we went out my daughter's birthday was last night and we were actually we got her dessert and she wanted to go to a cupcake store. She's 22. I'm like, "What? There's a cupcake store? What do we do at the cupcake store? We eat cupcakes." Are you kidding? And my other son's like, "Ugh. Let's get something really good to eat." So we went there and we're having a great discussion and the whole time I'm falling asleep. I think it was like 8.30. Honestly. Yeah, those three hours will catch up to you pretty quickly. Getting old. That's brutal. 
It's 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 brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. And you can, you know it, you know it didn't matter how many cupcakes I ate. Didn't keep sugar didn't, didn't help. keep me awake. <laughs> so uh, anyway, that that's kind of good news. And um, by the way, did you hear about the air passenger that's suing now? There's a somebody is suing, which is so crazy. But they're suing because they have back problems, because they had to sit next to somebody that was obese on an airplane. And it made them sit funny in the chair or something. I guess. A man is suing an airline after claiming that he has suffered back pain since he was uh, positioned or placed next to an obese man on a flight. Like, what did the obese guy do? <laughs> Don't bring him into this. <laughs> James Andres uh, Bezos said that during um, an Etihad Airways flight from Sydney to Dubai. Okay, so that's part of the problem. You had to sit for a day. He was forced to contort his body for long periods because of the grossly overweight person in the seat next to him. He told the court that the man was spilling into his seat, coughing frequently, and had fluid coming from his mouth. Okay. I didn't read that part. But uh, that one snuck up on me. Oh, wow. Apparently. That's a great visual right there. That's a great visual. But I don't think obese is the uh, – I don't think that's like the main thing we should be focusing on. I'd start with the fluids coming, coming from his mouth. mouth. That he oh. should just be suing because the guy had fluid coming from his mouth. My husband went on a flight when he was walking next to a guy, and he was just hacking all the way down. And my husband goes, I know he's going to be right next to me. I just know it. And he was. And my husband got sick. Isn't that yeah. great? He should have sued. Why didn't we think of that? Yeah. Did, did that person have fluid coming from his mouth? Could have. And his nose, too, I believe. Oh, my heavens. That wasn't good. It's like, you know, they're, they're charging people that are, are bigger more. They have to charge them for two seats. But... Yeah. So anyway, who knows if that guy will win? Do you win a Do you win a lawsuit because someone else is just too big sitting next to you and you have to contort your body? Well, the problem is, is the airlines will probably just pay so they can get it over with and not have the bad publicity, right? Yeah, that's usually what they do. They settle. That's always. That's that's a really good mantra. Always settle. Settle. So gets you tell it, your clients, yeah, right? Yeah, it gets just done. Settle. Yeah, just settle. <laughs> Just settle. Am I supposed to settle with my spouse? Yeah, yeah totally. Just settle. just settle. The airlines do it. Everybody's <laughs> doing it. Oh, well, that's my headline. Let's go to the real headlines with Kathy Aiken. A white University of Cincinnati police officer has been indicted on murder charges after he allegedly shot and killed a black man during a traffic stop near campus earlier this month. Officials say body cam video is key evidence showing Officer Ray Tenzing shooting Samuel Dubow in the head while he's still behind the wheel. Here's Hamilton County Prosecutor Joe Dieters. Totally unwarranted. He should never have been a police officer. He wasn't dealing with someone who was wanted for murder, okay? He was dealing with someone who didn't have a front license plate. Tenzing could face life in prison if convicted. Investigators say there's a high degree of certainty that debris from an airplane found washed up on an island in the Indian Ocean may be from the Malaysia Airlines flight that went missing a year ago. French authorities are studying part of a wing they think may be from a Boeing 777, the same type of plane that vanished. Here's transportation safety expert Mark Rosenker. This is obviously a very significant development. It's the first uh, real evidence that there is a possibility that a part of the aircraft may have been found. Uh, it's too early to make that judgment, uh, but clearly we are treating this as a, as a, as a major lead. 
230 people were on board that flight that vanished in March of last year. The Los Angeles Superior, a Los Angeles Superior Court has issued a temporary restraining order on the anti-abortion group Center for Medical Progress. The restraining order prevents the group from releasing videos taken of three officials from STEM Express, a California company that provides fetal tissue to researchers. This is the same group that released three recent videos of Planned Parenthood leaders discussing the sale of aborted fetuses for research. The Senate is expected to vote on whether or not to defund Planned Parenthood before its August recess. Meanwhile, the restraining order on the videos will remain in place until a hearing on August 19th. Donald Trump remains the top GOP presidential candidate, according to a new Quinnipiac University poll. This coming after his controversial war hero remarks about John McCain. Trump has 20 percent of the vote, followed by Scott Walker at 13 percent and Jeb Bush with 10. Trump also has the highest number of voters who say they would never vote for him. On the Democratic side, Hillary Clinton leads Bernie Sanders 55 percent to just 17 percent. The former first lady and secretary of state, however, scored the worst ever as far as favorability. 40% of likely voters like her, 51% do not. The Minnesota dentist who killed a protected lion in Zimbabwe has had to shut his doors due to the outrage over the killing. Walter Palmer says he thought the kill was legal and apologized to his patients for any inconvenience this has caused them. Meanwhile, one of the guides hired by Palmer was in court yesterday on charges of poaching. The New England Patriots are reacting after the NFL upheld its four-game suspension of quarterback Tom Brady. Team owner Robert Kraft said there's no evidence to back up the suspension, and Brady's agent Don Yee said the league's discipline isn't on a level playing field. The decision handed down by the league is unfathomable to me. Six months removed from the AFC championship game, the league still has no hard evidence of anybody doing anything to tamper with the PSI levels of footballs. That was team owner Robert Kraft. Brady continues to say he did nothing wrong and has asked the players' union to appeal his case in federal court. The Patriots open the regular season at home against Pittsburgh on September 10th. And Matt, a self-proclaimed animal lover by the name of Josh Newell, is in a bit of trouble. Uh Uh-oh. He filmed himself hopping a fence at an Ohio zoo to pet some cougars. Oh, brother. The video shows Newell petting two cougars while yelling, Here, kitty, kitty. (laughs) (laughs) The problem with uploading the video, zoo officials now are pressing charges of criminal trespassing. Newell said he regretted the illegal petting and said the cats were looking like they needed some love. He also apparently admitted he was lucky to still have all of his extremities. Was this young man inebriated? Uh, Apparently not. He just felt the love of these cougars and thought they would be, you know, nice. And apparently he was extremely lucky. Can you just hear that though? Here, kitty, kitty. Here, kitty. Hey, where did Jerry go? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, there he is. He's playing with those cute kitties. That is crazy. Oh, man. Read the memo. Yeah. yeah. Hey, let's he, just he make had it to be clear. Something for sure. Hey, people, listen. Don't play with wild animals. Yeah. The lions, let them go. Oh, would the you cougars, just? You know. Can I? Can I hold that rattlesnake? <laughs> can I hold it? Oh, it's like a boa. Just put it right around my neck. <laughs> Can I hold it while the rattle's going back and forth? Is that is that a bad thing? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> People are, they just don't get it. it they don't it, get it. Crazy. I mean, when you said cougar, I thought like some old Why? lady yeah, in a You were going to say that. Pen. Why did I know that? I don't know. This is where my mind goes. <laughs> but um, wow, especially after all of these other announcements. All yeah. of Milwaukee's freaking out looking for a cat walking that looks around. looks like a lion. Uh-huh. And this dude's climbing in, you know. An exhibit. (laughs) 
there's fences there for a reason, people. We have, you know, BYU cougars. We we know what mountain lions are mm-hmm. like, and we, we hear do. stories of people being, you know, taken eaten. down by yes, eaten by yes. a mountain lion. Yes. Here, kitty, kitty, <laughs> kitty, kitty. I love that. It's like the commercial of that woman. It's I think it's for contacts or something. And yeah. she's going, here, kitty, kitty. It's a <laughs> yes, raccoon coming into our house. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that is nope. classic. You need your glasses. You know what's funny is, I mean, it's one thing to do with a raccoon. Mm-hmm. But a mountain lion. Yeah, a little different. It's crazy. <laughs> oh, well, someday they'll learn. All we need is some really good video of that a takedown right there, and that'll fix everything. Hey, so if you have um, some problem, right? So uh, if you have a problem like you've been abused, uh, you have some mental illness issues, some substance abuse issues, who do you think is the best person to go talk to about it? Well, according to some of the latest research, it's probably your mother. Even better than dad's. The research shows going to mom may be the answer. It's a really healthy solution for a lot of people suffering from a lot of uh, problems that they've gone through. We'll be talking with the researcher who performed the study. Uh, Dr. Diane Quinn will be joining us next. Stay with us, folks. We're talking about the power and the healing of a mom up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. When you were a kid, if mom ever said, because I said so, that was the end of the argument, wasn't it? Period. It was over. Momisms range from, I brought you into this world, I can take you out, to feeling that moms have eyes in the back of their heads, right? So momisms can also include being incredibly supportive, showing unconditional love, and listening for hours on end. And according to a recent study, mother is the best person to talk to when dealing with issues like mental illness, domestic violence, um, rape, if you've been raped. So a lot of our most painful, um, you know, uh, issues that we have to deal with, some of the latest research shows it might be really healthy to take those issues to mom. Joining us now live on the phone, uh, Dr. Diane Quinn is the author of a study that talks about uh, the power of going to mom with some of these issues. Dr. Quinn, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, how are you today? Great, great, and so great to have you on the phone. Uh, really enjoyed uh, what I was learning about your study about moms. Talk to us a little bit about how you got into this topic of even asking who's going to be the better uh, person to go to with sure. our pains. Sure. Um, Most of my work has looked at people who are hiding some of those painful things that you just mentioned, mental illness, maybe a history of substance abuse or childhood abuse. And when we, we look at people with these types of identities, we find that some of them are doing great, right? They're resilient, no problems. Others are really struggling with psychological distress and more physical health problems. And so um, a lot of my research is trying to figure out what is it that people can do that might lead to a better or worse psychological or physical health outcome for them. So, I mean, one question about all of these types of identities is, 
often people's first uh, thought is to hide them. It's something negative. Yeah. Maybe they're embarrassed about it. Um, but, you know, there's some research at this point showing that talking about these types of issues or identities can be healthy for people, but not always. So we're trying to figure out when is it healthy, what's the best way to go about disclosing this kind of information so that it's good for the person. Interesting. So, And you brought up a really interesting uh, word. The word was identities. So if I've been, um, let's say I've been, I, I married, left my family, went, uh, had my own family, and in that family setting, I was abused. Mm-hmm then you're saying part of that abuse actually makes me start taking on an identity. Right. I think that, you know, we use this term identities in psychology to talk about it's something that's important to yourself, usually, and that other people view as an important characteristic. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes there are things that we don't think are very important, but other people think are quite important. So, you know, but psychologists use the term identities across the board. And if it, but if I have mental illness, that could become a, a part of what I feel is important about me right. or others do. Right. Both. Yeah. And then and then I guess and so we all carry in I guess when we think about it, over time everyone's going to carry some issue. <laughs> right? Yeah, I really I think most people do. If you ask people think over your life, is there something about yourself that you would keep hidden from others because you think they would react to negatively, people can usually come up with mm-hmm. something. And then if we're hiding it, it almost is more like we're, we'll go more to shame. We, we have shame because of it. Right, because one thing that we found in our research is what really impacts people is their worries about what others will think of them, which mm. we call anticipated stigma. But people say, well, if I told others, they might look down on me, they might not want to date me, or if I told people in my workplace, they might be suspicious, I might not get promoted. People have a lot of fears about telling others about these types of things. And that's part of your research was about, okay, so if we're going to talk to people, and if, if it's important to share, how important is it? What is the effect of the sharing? And one of the things you found out is sharing is good. It helps. I guess that was part of the study, wasn't it? And then the other part is sharing with your mom may help more than maybe sharing with dad. Right. So in this particular study, we didn't find that people who had just shared more overall were better off. Hmm. There was almost no correlation, although there are other studies that show a small, consistent, positive correlation to being more out or sharing more about your identities. What we found in this study, and, and other studies have found similar results, is that what matters is who you tell. Hmm. So it also matters, although we didn't look at it in this study, is what kind of reaction you get, which I think might explain why people are telling their mom. Yeah. <laughs> Um, as you mentioned in your, your intro a few minutes ago, people expect their mothers to be positive and supportive, and that's what's really important when you're disclosing this sort of painful piece of information, is people are looking for somebody to tell that's going to be supportive and not rejecting. And often that person is mom. Isn't that interesting? Is it... what what? What do you say? I guess it's just the response. Do moms just, are they more loving? Are they just more accepting? Well, we didn't study that. I mean, that's interesting because why why is that the case? That's fascinating to me. 
Right. We didn't study that. But I, I think that people are, are pretty good at figuring out who is going to be supportive. And if you've gotten, you know, unconditional love and support from your mother throughout your life, you're, it's a pretty good bet that she's going to be supportive when you tell her about this important information. Mm. This is this is really important research, especially when you think of people. How many issues in the news have we heard about mental illnesses causing, you know, major problems, shootings and right. and other things like that. And if people can't share them and if they can't bring this out to somebody that's safe, then they have to keep it hidden and keep performing, I guess, keep doing things. Right. And they and they might get more distressed, right. more psychologically distressed. And in our studies as well, we look at physical symptoms. So they might report, you know, more headaches and hives and all kinds of physical symptoms that are coming out of this distress that people are feeling. Interesting. And, and it seems like as more physical symptoms come out, they might also then medicate more. They might self-medicate. They might need right. drugs or do drugs or other things just to, to get rid of the other pains. Right. There's an uh, interesting study from a couple of years ago that looked at uh, adolescents who came out about being gay or lesbian. Yeah. And they found that when they came out, if they got a rejecting response, over time they were more likely to have more substance use and abuse uh, issues. Yeah, more suicide. An, yeah. If they got an accepting response, then things tended to be more positive. And again, you know, the importance of coming out to family is strong. I mean, there are other people besides your mother that are supportive. (laughs) (laughs) And people are pretty good at choosing those. So in our study, besides coming out to their mother, telling the mother about these different identities or issues, uh, best friends and romantic partners were also Hmm. really good choices. Yeah. And boy, uh, what a lonely world for somebody that has one of these identity issues that can't find or doesn't feel like they have anyone to to come ex- disclose it to. Right. And I think that, you know, one of the the reasons why this disclosure is important, I mean, we might think of it as, oh, it's cathartic, you're getting it off your chest. But what the what the research really shows is that being able to disclose to others, not only do you get some self-acceptance, which is good for esteem, but also you get more social support. And so you have people who might be willing to drive you to appointments if mm. you need to go to appointments or do those other things that we need around us, sort of our social safety net yeah. in order to be healthy. Uh, it really is. I think it's so important. And, and I want to I take a break, Diane, come back and just try to find out what are, what are some of the things we should be doing as parents to be or friends or romantic partners that could actually maybe be a good receiver of of such news and information to make it easier for others. We're talking again with Dr. Diane Quinn, and she is the author of a study uh, about um, about helping the, the the healing abilities of sharing some of our our deeper secrets, some of our identity issues, and uh, and and how that might help us long term. We'll take a break. Come back. More with Professor Quinn right here on The Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are uh, speaking with Dr. Diane Quinn from the University of Connecticut and some of her uh, most recent research on the importance moms have um, at helping, I mean, obviously other people, it's not just moms, but at helping helping people share these skeletons in their closet, we might call them. Those those little, uh, she called it socially stigmatized identities. If you've been abused, if you've been, if you have mental illness or domestic violence in your family or rape or childhood abuse, there are considerable benefits for you being able to go share that, come out, as you will, on those issues with somebody uh, that's important to you. And one of the, in the research, one of the things she found out is that moms might be the very best source for that. Also, others might be good friends, romantic partners, but um, it's, it's fascinating research, and I think it's something we all need in the, our country today because a lot of people, most of us, I believe, in the end will have one of these issues some way or another. And if we don't feel safe talking, then it's going to impact us physically. Our health will be impacted. So, again, Dr. Diane Quinn, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Did I did I summarize it okay? Yes, you did. I mean, it's that's the funny thing about research is it's very specific, and I don't want to make it bigger. But in the research, you found moms are they're not just the one I guess most chosen are they? They're but they're the ones that seem to have the healthiest impact on the person when they share. They um, no, they weren't the most frequent choice. Although sometimes they are. If you look at college student samples, mom is the most likely person they will disclose to. But once you look at people across the lifespan, people are talking to their spouses, their best friends. Um, In this research, mothers, romantic partners, and friends were all about equally good Hmm, as as, uh, disclosure partners, whereas the other people that we had asked about were fathers, sisters, brothers, and their closest co-worker. And they were not quite as powerful a positive force as yeah. a disclosure target. Were, were, we, were we completely off the chart? Or were we still in the realm of possibility? A father, for example. Oh, a fa- uh, certainly. I think, you know, these are we asked about these particular categories. But as I mentioned before, I think that what's important is the reaction mm-hmm. that people get. So you could pick anybody, really. And if you got a positive supportive reaction, then that would be good for you. Talk about the reaction, just as a professional that, that studies this, what what would be the ideal response and, and, and what would be some of the traits or the characteristics of what would make a healthy response? Mm-hmm. I think one thing that is important is that people, if you're thinking, oh, well, if my sister told me about something, I would certainly be supportive. But when these conversations come up, the person who's disclosing the information has been thinking about it a long time, and the person who's hearing about it might take them by surprise. Yeah. Right? So I think that's a hard dynamic to start with, right? Because people aren't prepared for this. Right. Um, yeah, but, you're not. It's like, yeah, it's like all of a sudden you just are dropped out of a car going 60 miles an hour. Right. You're not right. up to speed. Right. And I think, you know, you can imagine a parent hearing some disturbing information about 
things that have happened to their child or the experiences their child has, it's hard. It's sometimes hard to hear. Right. That being said, the what would really what really makes the best response is to be supportive. Not you. You wouldn't want to deny the person's mm. experience yeah. and say, oh, that didn't happen or that depression wasn't so bad. Your uncle would never do that. Right. Ugh. You yeah. know, so don't deny and don't downplay. Right. So sometimes we in, we think we'll make somebody feel better by saying, oh, it, it can't be so bad or that'll pass. Right. That's, that's not really helpful for mm. the person who's disclosing. They want to hear that you're hearing them, that you understand that they've, they've gone through something difficult or they're telling you something that's very important to them, and that you still accept them. Oh, isn't that huge? That you, sti- that you still love them unconditionally, that they're still, in, they're still in the same space with you, or maybe even better. Right. I mean, research that has looked at people who have gotten both accepting and rejecting responses, so they've told multiple people and they've gotten different types of responses, show that the rejecting responses are particularly powerful for affecting their mental health and physical health, substance abuse, that that, that rejection from somebody else is, is very bad. Oh, well, and again, it's so important in today's day and age um, with, you know, with homosexual and gay. I mean, if you have to come out of the closet to your parents and they're, they're very – they're a religious family and they, mm-hmm. they see it as a sin or whatever and you get rejection – then what does that do to your identity? Right. People, it means that people continue to feel shame. They might try to self-medicate that shame by using more drugs or alcohol to numb themselves. Mm. So there is some hope, though, I want to say, not from my own work, but from some other work that has shown that getting more accepting responses can buffer the rejection. So, you know, maybe one person, maybe a, a family member can yeah. never accept you. But if you have a, a wider friend and family network that is accepting, that can buffer some of the rejection. That is, I think that's, I think that's awesome. And w- what do you suggest when you think about this, Diane? So if, if I'm a parent and, and my child brings me something, um, whatever, whatever their stigma is, like um, maybe a mental health issue, and I'm not sure I believe they have it. Mm-hmm. Or a, uh, they're a homosexual, um, they're homosexual or gay, and I don't understand it. How, how can I be accepting? Or, I mean, uh, help me understand, and I know it happens. How do I show understanding and love even if I don't agree? Mm, that's a really, really hard one. Yeah. I think. You know, to the extent that as a parent, you can say, I don't completely understand what's going on with you, but I still love you. I accept you. I'm here for you. What do you need from me? Right. Make it clear that even if you don't understand what they're going through, that it doesn't change how much you accept them, because I think it's really the rejection. Yeah. That is hard for people. It's not, it's not even really the technical aspects of what you're rejecting. It's mm-hmm. it's the, the almost the absence of love, right? And you and your research shows that that absence will not only affect them psychologically, but physically, it will break them down and send them on a path of other potential issues. Right. I mean, there's a lot. There's a very high 
correlation between psychological issues, depression, anxiety, and health issues, cardiovascular disease, stroke. People don't realize how closely these can be linked. So, you know, people don't realize the health ramifications maybe of if, if a person is feeling ashamed or they're becoming increasingly more depressed or anxious, it affects a lot of other things going on in their lives. Mm. In fact, um, we've had a lot of other experts on talking about homelessness and addictions and all these other things. And you sit there, so if you just look out at a lot of the people that are struggling in this world and, and don't seem to be able to dig themselves out of just life, a lot of them probably have these rejection issues and identity issues. I'm sure. I mean, I do have some work with a homeless group, and and one of the things that affects their uh, psychological well-being, their rates of depression and anxiety, is this anticipated stigma that they're afraid when people find out how they're living, that they, that they are homeless, that bad things are going to happen to them. And, mm. and just that fear is affecting their psychological well-being over yeah. and above that the fact that they are, you know, facing a lot of real difficulties in their lives. I, um, what profound work. What, what got you turned on to this? Um, I've been studying the effect of stereotyped or stigmatized identities for many years. And I started out looking at some gender issues and race. And I was, I was in that literature. It struck me how little we know about these concealable identities. So most of the work on gender and race, when you walk into a room, somebody knows your gender and race. And you have to deal with what they're thinking of you. But at least it's all out there. Yeah, yeah. Right? With these concealable identities, people are walking around worrying, not knowing what people will think of them. And so it really, you know, fascinates me to figure out what can we do to reduce that burden for people. There's um, that's such a fascinating concept of concealable identities, because we we could be living silently with this identity for a very, very, very long time. And we have to compensate for it. Right. I mean, like my head is compensating for whatever I'm trying to conceal. And yet people think they know me, like my mom, my dad, my friends may think they know me, but they, you don't know what I've been hiding. And if I'm wondering if, how you're going to handle it, then um, that just in and of itself must take you know, a certain load of my energy and of my psyche and of my esteem and, and my self-worth. Definitely, definitely. It's, a, it's an extra worry that people are carrying around with them that, that does take more cognitive work. And then you may also not want to get as close to other people mm. because you're afraid that they're going to find out about it. Yet social networks and friendships are some of the most important things for our health. It's a uh, – when you think about the research, I guess you've, you've taught us that we need to be supportive, hearing and understanding, um, ex- showing acceptance, and specifically intentionally – not rejecting yes. the person. We also are supposed to don't deny their position or their issue. Don't minimize it. Don't downplay it. And if you don't necessarily agree or understand it, just tell them you don't fully understand it, but then reinforce with love. Exactly. Is there anything else we could do as parents and just friends, partners to help our our most close loved ones heal? Hmm. 
I would say that, you know, often people aren't sure how others are going to think about them. So to the extent that you can let people know around you that you're a generally accepting person, right? So often when people have one of these concealable identities, say they have depression, they'll hear other people talking about depression in a negative light and they'll think to themselves, okay, well, that's probably not somebody I want to tell about my depression. Yeah, yeah. So to the extent that, you know, people are careful about what they're they're saying to others so that they know that you would be maybe a good target to disclose to or you would be generally accepting you know, just having a, a more tolerant attitude, I think, would go a long way. Oh, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be great? And I mean, it seems like a no-brainer, but right. people are watching how we respond. And I mean, you think of think of a concealable identity thirty years ago, where it seems like it seems like as a as a community, we're getting much more informed, much more understanding about a concealable identity, even much more tolerant to and and caring about them. But can you imagine having a concealable identity in times or in places where it's just not acceptable? Right. I think and, – and people are aware if they're in an environment that they think is hostile, maybe a work environment or other places, then, you know, they are not going to disclose. And that's, that's probably for the best in that environment. They yeah. need to find an environment and relationships where there is support. Yeah, I guess that's the old cast the pearls before the swine Idea. You don't want to throw out your most sensitive issue with someone that can't handle it. Right. Or, or I guess you'll pay for it. Well, I appreciate uh, the, the great work. Um, when you think about it, as we wrap this up, I always like to kind of know the one thing um, in all – I mean, you've spent years researching this. What's the one thing that you've just noticed overall makes the biggest difference in helping people share those identities? Um, I would say that, again, when people perceive that they are going to get support, and that support can be both emotional support from others, that they'll, they'll be there to listen and understand, but also functional support, that they're willing to help them get to doctor's appointments or do other things, that that's really the most important predictor in terms of once people have revealed this identity to others and living a healthier life. Mm. That's such great advice. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it again. Uh, Dr. Diane Quinn from uh, UConn, University of Connecticut. We appreciate your great uh, research. Keep up the great work on that. And uh, to us, all of us, we can be a source of healing, a guide on the side, as as, um, we like to quote here. People need each other, right? We need you. And if we could just open up our hearts a little bit to to be there, to be kind of a, a guidepost, somebody that is there to accept you and, and lift you and, and even direct you to get help in a healthy way. That way we heal together. And if we heal together, then we have the potential of maybe eliminating a lot of these other problems we see in our society. Awesome stuff, folks. Uh, we'll take a break, come back, do a coach's corner. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, what a great interview with Diane Quinn from UConn. Uh, 
this idea of being able to share your concealable identities, that is such, such a big idea. Um, everybody's carrying some burden. I had a client once, um, and I think I've talked about it before on the air, where the couple was really struggling. The husband had a porn um, addiction, and it was devastating the marriage. And not, you know, no progress was being made. They'd fight. Uh, his addiction, you know, would hurt her to the core because she's thinking, "What am I not good enough? You have to look at all these other girls," and it just impacted. And then she'd pull away, and he'd feel rejected, and off they went. So we sent this guy uh, to get some counseling, and as he was getting the counseling, he was um, opening up about past abuse. So he found a counselor that he was starting to share this concealable identity. And he had never told anybody ever about being abused as a child. And this – it just created this healing for him, this freeing um, benefit for him to be able to finally share this ugly part of his past that's been hounding him his entire life. And he also believes, and the therapist believe, became part of his addiction with pornography because he had been sexualized, and and um, so they're kind of all intertwined. So the counselor, uh, they had this great breakthrough with this man, and the counselor brought the the couple back together to talk about it. And as they were talking about it, um, the the counselor suggested that the husband take that concern to his wife. So he went and started sharing this history of abuse with a family member in the past as a child. And um, he, this man broke down and was sharing it openly now with his wife for the first time. And it becomes this sacred moment, right? This moment where you've now got your spouse's heart in your hands. You, By the way, meanwhile, you also have your own concerns, your own fears about your history and as he's opening up talking about his abuse, um, she hears it and then she rolls her eyes and shakes her head and said, oh, so that's supposed to excuse all your pornography use? And he just felt completely rejected. And he's like, no, it was never supposed – it's not an excuse. It's just a reality of my life. And – he, this man said, though, to me later, he knew right then he is not safe enough to share with her his biggest concerns. She is not able to hear it. And I sit there and I think, man, we're supposed to get together as couples, husbands and wives, so that we can be helpmeets. In fact, that's even in the Bible, right? The word helpmeet. Eve and Adam, Eve was given to Adam as a helpmeet. And when I talk to groups and people, I always say, uh, help me. I mean, sometimes the guys try to pretend like that means help mate. Yeah, Eve, you're here to help me mate. Not true. Not true. Don't fall for it, ladies. We're here to help each other meet our highest potential. We're here to help each other meet God. We're here to help each other uh, to save each other. Help meet does mean equal to save. And so in a weird way, talking to Diane Quinn about her research, when somebody has one of these hidden concealable identities and it's pulling them down and it's slowly just 
sapping their energy like a parasite that's in your body, then eventually if we can't share it with someone else and get it out of us somehow and seek the help because of it and have someone there that can guide us and be our guide on the side, then we just have to take the parasite on ourselves. And eventually it it gets a lot of us. A lot of us are consumed. So is there any way, and I'm going to challenge you, to go be a better partner so that you can be that help meet. You can be there to help your partner heal, to help save them from some of the demons of the past. And parents, we do the same thing. If our child has a same-sex attraction as a homosexual and they, they've been battling this their whole life and they bring that to you, regardless of what you feel about it morally— or the marriage issue, whatever you feel about it's one thing, but you have a child here that just needs love and just needs to know that you're there. And I don't think you have to, they're not mutually exclusive. I can still not understand it and I can still love you. And I cannot believe in gay marriage and still love you and accept you and recognize that this is a very real issue. And I can have those two ideas and still love you fully But what needs to come out first and foremost is probably the love and not the judgment and not the critique. It doesn't mean there's not a a moment where we need to share that. But the minute we start, um, we stop people from being able to share who they really are, then they have to keep the facade up. And if they keep the facade up, folks, we never have a clue who we're dealing with. Does that make sense? And there really is, if you want to go have an interesting journey in this, go look up TED.com on TED Talks and look for a talk from Brene Brown on shame and sharing your identity and who you are. Because these these concealable identities end up creating a lot of shame in people. And shame is simply guilt people feel when they do something wrong. Shame is when you feel like you're no good because you've got something in your past, past abuse, past issues— past drug addictions, mental health issues. So let's just challenge everybody, right? Get out there, step out there. You become the change and go start being the type of person that is open enough to let people come in and share with you. And as we communicate, we get real with each other, we heal and we change the world. Good stuff, folks. That's the Coach's Corner. We'll take a break. More after the break. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. The show where we give you the tools you need to live healthier, happier lives. Today, no exception. Got a great show for you. Um, tons of interesting headlines going on. By the way, it is, uh, it's a very important day today. Of all the days, this might be the greatest. In fact, we brought it up yesterday. It was part of our discussion with Kathy. Today is um, Cheesecake Day. 
you Cheesecake know what? day. You call, and you, I think it was Philly cheese steak cheese day. Steak, yeah. Don't quote me, but I think today uh, is today the day at the Cheesecake Factory. I think you get one. I'm not even going to say. Excellent. Just find out. I can't remember if it's buy one, get one free, or get one half off or something. Oh, that place. Doesn't that sound so good? I was there two two days ago, and, and I think I just mer- barely missed that, but had the best strawberry cheesecake. Ever oh. since I had quadruple bypass <laughs> after my last trip to the Cheesecake Factory. Oh, um, that's no, crazy. You just have to go run a few miles after that. Yeah, be good. right. Easy for you to say. By the way, uh, speaking of running, I'm wearing my orthotics. And your plantar is feeling my good. My plantar is starting to heal. I can feel it's healing. And, cool thing, I gained two inches in height. Oh, that's the best part right there, right? <laughs> Not really, but that, wouldn't that be funny if all of a sudden I came in like three inches taller? Something's different about Matt. Not only is he not limping, but he's incredibly taller. It's good stuff. Uh, everybody. So you didn't have to get your heels shot up then? No. We, no. So the idea is wear the orthotics, see if, and it's already working. Good. Like it's already working. It's, I feel younger. I think I've lost five years. And... I don't – in the morning, I don't have the pain. I don't – I mean, I – Does it take to, you five minutes to quit limping? No, it's two minutes. Two but minutes. I, I still have to stretch and yeah. do like 10 minutes of yoga <laughs> and meditate. But and it's working good. just because of orthotics. That's and you know what? Here's the crazy news. thing. My, uh, my first of my four podiatrists – I've had four. <laughs> I don't stick to things very well. <laughs> and um, my first one about eight years ago – Recommend I get orthotics. You said no. Eh, I'm just going to go else. with the cheaper ones. So I just went and bought some <laughs> off of the shelf. Mm-hmm. So far in the off-the-shelf orthotic, I've spent at least uh, $12 million. <laughs> and for the other three doctors, you could have had uh-huh. 12 <laughs> pairs of orthotics. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, insurance pays for orthotics because they want you to walk straight. Right. You know? Good preventative. So, you know, life is good. And I don't know how that came, how we went from cheesecake day to that. Actually, I do. talking about running. Because another doctor told me that same day that that I should get orthotics. He said, if you lost just 20 pounds, a lot of this would go away. Mm -hmm. Well, I think he's full of it. So, And you were very offended by that. I was offended. That's why I didn't go back to number one or two or three. Because interestingly, they all must be reading the same books Mm -hmm. because they all said the same thing. And that's not what I needed to hear. My problem was because I'm an athlete. I'm an incredibly st- – why are you laughing? That is so rude. You're all rude. Why you – you don't think I'm an athlete? Have you ever – you're lucky that I'm too tired to get out of this chair. <laughs> oh, you make me mad. I'm an athlete. I, and I plantar fasciitis is an athletic injury. It, it is. That only athletes have. Lots of studs. You know, my son, who I'm trying to get you to go see to yeah. buy a car, yeah. he said to me, Mom, I went to the gym the other day, but I woke up and I've got this really sharp pain in the middle of my heel. Uh-huh. And I tell him, oh, no, you might have plantar fasciitis. Yeah. He's like, what is that? You know what? Tell him I'll it bring him. horrible. I've got about 30 pair of orthotics I'll bring him. You can change for the car? Uh-huh. That's a good idea. So or the down me, payment. Give me, give me, yeah, that'll okay. be my down payment on my new car. <laughs> it might the, work. It's the craziest thing, and not to delay getting to the news, but... There's something weird about we have this team, and everybody on the team now has a new car, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Kathy has a new car, convertible. She comes in, her hair's blowing in the wind. 
It's crazy. Terry has a new car. Everybody's Ben. Do you have a new set car? You will, ben I, got a new my bike. My son will give you a great deal. Yeah, I've never owned a car. Okay, so, so Ben oh. Ben got a new One bus day, pass. And See, but we're at different levels. You 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 have no children. I'm past the children, so yeah. I'm an empty nester now. So hey, that's I'm why you got a little fun. sporty yeah. car. And That'd be some reward, right? <laughs> Don got a new truck. He did. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh wow, it's a crock. You are feeling left. What out. about me? And I'm the only one. I'm too busy working to go get a car. That's right. I'll tell you what. what? I'll have my son drive it to your home. Oh, but see, and you drive it. See if you like it. If, tell I. I trust. I would love the the car that your son's got. I want that car. Mm-hmm. It's just I don't want that car because I'm just going to put miles on it. <laughs> yeah, you, that's what you do with cars. But I need the car. I need that car because that's the car that will drive for me. It drives itself. So it I. I don't so even need. Sweet. to I could yeah. sleep. Yeah, you could. That'd you really cool. could. I'm doing it. Actually, what I need is a driver. Ben, will you be my driver? If I buy this nice car, will you drive me every morning? Do you? I'll let let you drive the car during the day. Hawaii doesn't have the best driver's ed program. I mean, mean, depending on how much you fear death. No, that's that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, never mind. Do you have insurance? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Then he's good. (laughs) But I'm still in the back seat. (laughs) And I'll be asleep, so I'd be like a rag doll if we crashed. Hey, let's go to the headlines. Kathy, what's going on in the nation? Well, Matt, a white University of Cincinnati police officer, has been indicted on murder charges after he allegedly shot and killed a black man during a traffic stop near campus earlier this month. Prosecutors say Officer Ray Tenzing purposely killed the man after losing his temper. A body camera shows Tenzing shooting the man in the head after the two got into a scuffle. Tenzing could face life in prison if convicted. Investigators are trying to confirm whether or not a piece of debris that was found recently is from the Malaysia Airlines flight that vanished last year. A piece of a wing washed up on an island in the Indian Ocean, 4,000 miles away from the plane's last known position. Was this metal torn? Was it crumpled? Had it been ripped in some way, shape, or form, is it pockmarked? Does it have any type of char on it, which would indicate a fire? All of that is going to be very important. That was transportation safety expert Mark Rosenker. Chinese relatives of those on board the flight say the finding means nothing until their loved ones are found. 230 people were on board that Boeing 777. The same type of plane made an emergency landing yesterday in Los Angeles after suffering a cracked windshield. The Virgin Australia flight had just left LAX for Brisbane when it was forced to turn around. The plane landed without incident. Olympic water venues at next year's Summer Games in Rio de Janeiro are reportedly so contaminated with human waste, they risk becoming violently ill and unable to compete. The water apparently has high levels of viruses and bacteria, alarming international exports as well as the competitors. Authorities, however, argue the bacteria levels meet government standards. Officials admit that the target to treat 80 percent of the sewage by next year won't be met. The New England Patriots are reacting after the NFL upheld its four-game suspension of quarterback Tom Brady. Team owner Robert Kraft said there's no evidence to back up the suspension and Brady's agent, Don Yee, says the league's discipline is not on a level playing field. As you know, it's been well documented in the past two years that uh, this commissioner's decisions on discipline have been quite erratic. Brady, who says he did nothing wrong, filed a lawsuit with the Players Union against the NFL yesterday. The Patriots' first regular season game is against Pittsburgh's, the Pittsburgh Steelers September 10th at home. And Matt, talk about scary. Or what? maybe freaky. A 92-year-old woman who was declared dead woke up screaming in the refrigeration room of her oh, funeral no home. Way. An employee at the funeral home in Germany heard the screaming and was shocked to find the woman alive. <laughs> 
However, after the woman was transported to a local hospital, she was once again pronounced dead two days later. And that one was for real. The 54-year-old doctor who got it wrong the first time was charged with negligence. Can you imagine hearing the scream coming out of that refrigeration room? Can you imagine being the 18-year-old cleaning tech (laughs) who hears the scream? Who's terrified now. I can't go back to work, Mom. Come on, man. Toughen up. Oh, they're not dead in there, I don't think. That woman, can you imagine waking up in a refrigerator? Yeah, where am I? I mean, I've I've actually had that dream where I woke up. I've had the dream where they're in the coffin and they sit up. And we're looking at him going, what? What the? What? I thought you were dead. Oh, that is. But you've had the dream of waking up in the refrigerator? Yeah, but it wasn't. It was actually I was eating cheesecake in the refrigerator. (laughs) That's a much better dream. But it was so cold. (laughs) But it was so worth it. Can you imagine the idea that people thought you were dead? I once – I better not talk about that. But I once – I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) I want tell to tell you so air. bad. I'll tell you off the <laughs> okay. air. But you, you know, when someone's dying, you're kind of open with them. Mm-hmm. And so I was once open with somebody that was dying. Like, you know, just go. You can go. We love you. We love you. They'll accept you on the other side. Just go. And she wasn't even, she wasn't even awake when I was telling her this. And, uh, you know, next day I got a call like, what the heck were you thinking? <laughs> what did you say to grandma? I don't know. Did you tell her she to just for go? Two more years, she right? is ticked off. <laughs> you are in so much trouble. You're not getting any inheritance. <laughs> you're kind of, telling your grandma you to off. die. Oh, you're off the will. And that's sad. Oh man. You know what though? I've, I'm committed that when I die, I'm going to have a comeback like that. You are. Wouldn't that be great? Just no, to you'd freak scare your family everybody. out. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> Surprise. Oh, that is tragic. And then the doctor blew it. I mean, you got to you gotta know. Well, he said there was no pulse. And well, so sure. obviously, you know. But we've all met somebody that seemed like they had yeah, no pulse. For sure. Isn't that the truth? You know what I mean? We won't mention names. Next time, you just hook them up to a monitor. <laughs> Let's just make sure we've got no brain activity. Well done. Okay. Now I've divulged too much information. Oh, well. Hey, we're going to take a break. Uh, You know, with summer wrapping up um, for some, kids are going back to school soon. You know, we're all excited. Kids love it. It's a great chance to have that change, you know. We get excited to go buy new clothes and set some goals with the kids with school. Let me suggest that uh, as your kids go back to school, it might be a great time to focus on your marriage again. A lot of times in the summer, the kids get all the attention The marriage is put on the back burner. When we come back, I'm going to be doing a little Coach's Corner, your back-to-school marriage reboot. We're going to give you a little little process you can go through with your spouse, and now might be a great transition point to turn it back to the marriage and set some goals together. Stick with us, folks. We're talking the marriage reboot right here on the Matt Townsend Show after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. So if you have kids, uh, have you been praying for summer to end? It's about this time when we're like, oh, man, these kids have got to go to school. I can't do this anymore. 
And so, um, you know, we get excited. And do you remember back in your day? Think back to the day that you were a kid going back to school. You'd go get all your back-to-school clothes. Life was so exciting. Holy cow, how fun is this? It was fun, right? It's a transition point, we call it. And it's a great opportunity to go, you know, make, uh, you know, have a new start. Every year, you'd go get your new start. I remember my sisters, they'd lay their clothes out, like, and every morning, it's like, should I wear my pastel pink or my pastel green? Remember how exciting that was? Well, as you go get ready to have your kids go back to school, I would just suggest sometime in the next little while, you do the same kind of uh, preparation to go to go relaunch your marriage for the year. You know, I've noticed that in the summer, in fact, my summer's been really weird where um, we've my wife has actually gone on two vacations without me. Quite rude when you think about it. And she's um, but she's she had we just had opportunities and I was already booked and couldn't do certain things. And so it's it's been natural and it's probably natural for a lot of you to spend a lot of time with the kids over the summer and sometimes put the marriage on the back burner. What I'm going to suggest we do, though, is we'd go do a little reboot of our marriage and we we think through a few things. So however you want to do this, let me give you five basic activities you could go do, conversations we should be having. And this might be a great thing to do just on your anniversary, might be a great way to do it. I, I like the idea of doing it right now because it seems like my family, we're all, I'm getting everyone geared up to get to school. We're getting everyone kind of focused on setting some of their own goals and creating some progress in their lives. So here it is, your marriage uh, reboot. As you get back to school, you're going to go take this uh, this long look with each other. First thing I suggest you do, in fact, take your spouse out to dinner, right? And I'll put this on my Facebook page. If you go to Matt Townsend, look me up on Facebook, I'll, I'll post this entire document on there. And it will be it's, – it's basically five conversations I want you to have with your spouse. The first one is I want you to go reconnect to your vows. A lot of you may have written your own marital vows, right? You remember how awkward you were? You're 25 years old or whatever. You're writing your vows now. I commit to be there always. Well, now that you've written those and you're 20 years into your marriage, some of us forget them. Some of us never go back to them. But one of the things, the first things I want you to do is with your partner, talk about what marriage means to you. What are the commitments you've made? If you made your commitments or your covenants or your vows in a church, what was part of the promise of the commitment? What were you promised by the officiator? Um, What does a marriage vow mean? And I want you to talk about it and get it out there because a lot of marriage um, expectations are very much based on what vow you think you made. We always hear that through thick and thin, in sickness and in health, rich and poor, right? Well, none of that matters until you actually are all of a sudden one of you is really thick and one of you is really thin. So part of being married, you didn't even know what thick and thin meant. You thought it was just how hard your life was going to be. Now you might be dealing with weight issues. Now you might be dealing with difficulty financially through rich and poor. You might be dealing with health issues and not even your health issues, but your family or your in-laws or your parents' health issues. 
So I want you to have a conversation with your partner about the vows you made with each other and recommit and reconnect to what they mean. It's a pretty powerful conversation because we make these promises, and I've, I've told you this all the time on the show. I see people that are like, so I will never, I promise to be with this person my entire life. I made a vow. Well, okay, interesting, because how come you go water skiing 14 times a summer and you never take her? I thought you said you were committed to being with her. How come you're so committed to a vow that you're not even living? Don't think it's the vow that's going to make things work. It's you living the vow that's going to make it work, right? So what are your vows and what do they mean to you? That's a conversation you got to have. And share your feelings with each other about what we are really committed to do. It's powerful, and it's just a simple discussion. And that might be, you know, a discussion you have one night on a walk. And just go commit to go have five walks in the next couple weeks. Or go commit to going to dinner and going through some of these conversations. The reconnect to marital vows conversation, super important to lay the foundation of what we're looking for. The next conversation I'd suggest you get into is what's working well conversation. Make a list, sit down as a couple, and make a list, and try to get as many ideas as you can. Over the last year, what have you noticed is working really well in the marriage? What do you do really well? Man, we shop really well together. We travel really well together. And I'd even get more specific than some of those general categories. When you say we travel really well together, what does that mean? We like to go to the same locations. We like to both, you know, sit by the pool. We like to be active and go zip lining and identify as many things that you can remember from the last year of things that are working well. And I want you to build a big, robust list. The bigger the list, the better. Because if you can find, let's say, 50 things that really work well in your marriage, it's a great sign. It also is a really good playbook for how to create another great year because we'll just go off of what we did. Well, we can't always go on the same trip, but we can definitely do the same type of activities. If we like being outdoors and doing fun stuff outdoors, let's start creating activities. You know, maybe start bicycling, maybe start, you know, golfing together. But make a list of what's working well. Many times in our marriages, we don't talk about where we're doing well together or where we're good. We talk about where we're broken. We talk about what doesn't work. And the more you reinforce what doesn't work, the more ideas you have about what doesn't work. Instead, I want you intentionally discussing and recognizing clearly, specifically, what works well. Now, some will say, well, okay, that's a great idea, Matt. What if I can't come up with any? Well, then you are messed up, my friend. You need to open your eyes because there's stuff that works well even if you don't notice it. And maybe by starting to notice what's working, what do you really like about your partner? Well, she, you know, she doesn't scratch the car. Okay. We got to dig deeper. If you have a hard time identifying what's working well, then we got a problem we got to deal with called negative interpretation, right? we got to go figure out how to start noticing the good. So two conversations we're going to have for our marriage reboot. Reconnect to your vows. Go figure out what they are and start making a list together of what's working well. If you're on your walk making the list, dictate it into your phone. Just make the list. The list, I promise, will matter. 
And we'll show you what you can do with that list a little bit later. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back, continue this Coach's Corner on the marriage reboot. Now's a perfect time to do it. We're sending our kids back to school. They're going to be setting up new goals. We may as well be setting new goals with our marriage. Let's reconnect, reboot, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Be back in two minutes right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's time. We're rebooting our kids as we send them off to school, hopefully giving them some motivation, some new goals. We like to talk to our kids about their strengths, you know, where they're doing well. I think it might be a good idea to do the same thing with your marriage. So I've been giving you in the coach's corner uh, some tools to have a marriage reboot uh, which is different than the marriage boot them out. It's different. I'm trying to teach Ben, and so I'm glad he's listening. So, so far I've taught you two basic tools. First, reconnect your vows. You need to have a conversation with your spouse about what your marriage vows are about. What were they? You know, we did it many years ago. Let's recommit. Let's reconnect to what they were. Figure out what we're trying to accomplish in our marriage. Second, let's recognize what's working well. The fastest way to get to the ideal marriage is to figure out what you do well. Before you start fixing everything, let's figure out what we what we do well. Make a list. Try to get as many ideas of what you two do really well as a couple. If you guys watch TV incredibly effectively and without fights and you like the same shows, I'd write that down. That's an important thing you do well. What else do you do? Well, we plan, you know, vacations well or whatever it is. The next conversation I suggest you have is what I call the marriage makeover conversation. So if we showed up on your doorstep and I came in and we promised that we were going to do a marriage makeover on your marriage, where would we focus? So I'm not going to go focus on everything you do well because you're already doing that. I would just say, go do more of what we just talked about, everything you're doing. Okay. What I would focus on is where do we need to work? What's an area that if we could just go fix this one area, it would really impact your marriage in a big way, a small area that could make a big difference? Well, if we could just work on better communication, that would be great. Or if our date nights were a little bit better, that would be great. So I want you to be thinking in a conversation and ask each other. So if we, if, if Matt came in and we sat down from the Matt Townsend Show and we were going to improve our marriage, give me one or two things that you'd want us to focus on to start fixing that in, in our marriage. And each of you come up with one or two, three things you think need to be improved a little bit. It could be intimacy. It could be communication. It could be time together. It could be saying thank you, whatever it is. Then a really fun activity that I just call the magic fairy dust activity is if I came in, sat down, took that issue, whatever the issue is, sprinkled magic dust on your marriage, and we fixed that issue. Let's say it's better communication. And the fairy dust made your marriage a perfect 10 as far as communication goes. 
I want you with the with that new information or with that new fairy dust on board. I want to know what would be different a half hour after that that would show you your marriage is now a perfect 10 in communication. What would it look like? And start making a list of what would be different in our marriage if it was fixed, if that issue was fixed. And be specific. Specifically, how would you communicate differently? Specifically, how would you handle conflict? Specifically, how would we uh, talk when there's no conflict and we're just trying to connect? How would we apologize or connect after someone's hurt each other's feelings? And start making a list of what that change would look like. If your change was a date night and I sprinkled magic dust on you and we fixed your date night and it was now a 10, what would be different with your date nights? See, what's funny is if you know it's a, you don't do date nights very well, then you must know subconsciously on some level or even consciously, you must know what it would look like to be better and start making a list. So now notice what we've talked about. What is our marriage about according to our vows? What works well? And what do we need to work on? Then once you do that, I want you to commit together to a few goals. Some of them will be personal goals. Some of them will be marriage goals. And you might just choose one area to work on or two areas to work on and then set a goal. And the way I set a goal is I just always ask myself a question. What is the most important thing I can do today to have the greatest impact on my communication in my marriage? Or or what's the most important thing I can do this year? And I might set a personal goal based on what we've talked about. I could say thank you more consistently to my wife. I could uh, go take a communication class. I could start reading or studying more about conflict resolution. I could start asking my wife more about how she feels about things and make a goal, a personal goal, and then together as a couple, let's make a couple's goal. We're committed to working on improving our communication this year in, in our marriage. Then each of you come up with a personal goal. And then I tell that to each other, what your goal is. Make sense? And we now have some goals. And I'd, I'd probably, because this is just how I roll, I'd probably put it on a bumper sticker and I'd knit it and I'd put it, I'd not knit it, I'd cross stitch it and put it on a pillow. And I'd set it right on my bed. <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't do that. But I know people that would. But somewhere I want that goal out in front. And I might even tell my kids about the goal so my kids know what we're trying to do. I might put it on my mirror, whatever motivates you. But then when you go out on dates, talk about it regularly. How is our communication working this week? How's our communication working this month? Start setting goals. And then the last thing I suggest you do is make sure that you reinforce your rituals. Uh, the research shows couples that have a lot of strong, loving rituals where they connect daily and they connect weekly and they connect monthly, couples that have those connected rituals in their life, they tend to do better. So start talking about how can we connect every day? That might be cuddle time. That might be, you know, sitting down when the kids go to bed and spending 20 minutes talking. Um, How are we going to connect weekly? That might be your date night. How are we going to connect monthly? That might be a special trip or a vacation. How are we going to connect yearly? That might be going out on your anniversary or your honeymoon. I mean, or your, what's it called, anniversary or your birthdays. Anyway, I'd also start making my communication goals tie to some of those rituals. So if I have a goal this year to be a better communicator, What if I could tie it to something I'm going to do every day with my wife anyway? If I have a goal to say thank you to my wife more, how could I connect that to a ritual of when I kiss her goodbye and say goodbye? 
I could make it that every time I leave my wife and say goodbye, I could say thank you for doing this and this for me. You know what I mean? Add a thank you into the kiss goodbye. Add um, add a, a question. My wife taught me this crazy question. Hey, when you come home, why don't you just ask me about my day? <laughs> well, that's a novel idea because I wouldn't ask her. She'd ask me about my day and I'd say, fine, my day was fine. So she just taught me, maybe when you come home, you could ask me about my day. There they are, folks. I come home every day. We have a ritual of how we come home. If you come home and give a kiss, if you come home and hug, you could just right there throw that in there. How's your day? Here are the five points. Go reconnect to your marriage vows. Recognize what's working well. Figure out what you'd have to do the marriage makeover on. Commit to a few motivating goals and reinforce those goals daily, weekly, monthly through your rituals, your times where you connect. It's just an idea, folks. But you know what? When you work on it, it's going to get better. I promise. But you actually have to work on it and do it consistently. If, uh, if you want this list, I'll put it together. I'll put it up on my Facebook page later today. Just go find me on Facebook, Matt Townsend. Fun stuff. Now, we're going to take a break. Come back with our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and Jerem will be joining us, finding out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us and buckle in. It's going to get crazy with these two. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. One of my favorite songs. And... uh, to introduce two of my favorite guys down to BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, it's just me right now. I'm Man, Brian Logan. Brian, where, where'd they all go? Um, they went away. I took over the Atta show. boy. You uh, know what? Not- I, I tried to tell everybody, I tried to warn everybody <laughs> this was going to happen one day, and nobody wanted to believe me. Matt. You know what? Not to, not, to, not to brag, but I've been saying behind the scenes here that Brian needs to take this over. Right. Thank you, man. Yes, you're in, dude. Love and support, man. You're in in my book. Thank you. Hey, do you I, know, I, I'm just sad I had to go as far <laughs> hey, as hey, locking hey, everybody. Hey, oh, what's going on in here? Locking oh. everybody. What's going on in here? Party's <laughs> over, Bri. Party's over. It is. I have my 15 seconds. Yeah, that was awesome. That felt good for a minute. It did. It what do you mean really that good. felt good for a minute? Now you're back, Spencer Linton, here yes. to enlighten. Did you? You didn't hear my intro song, did you? No, what'd you play? It was, have you ever heard this song? It's called FIFA Las Vegas. FIFA Las Vegas? FIFA Las Vegas! Like a soccer-themed Vegas <laughs> yeah. tour? Yeah, yeah, isn't... Oh, here we go. Uh, that's Elvis doing FIFA Las Vegas. Did you hear about the big news in, um, in Las Vegas? They're in the mob, they have a mob museum in Las Vegas. And guess who the new entries are into the mob museum? Uh, into the Mob Museum? FIFA. I have no, no idea. Oh, because of FIFA. Seth Ladder? Yes. Unbelievable. Can you believe it? So now with not only John Gotti's going to be there and Bugsy Siegel and, and all these guys <laughs> and the St. Valentine's Henry Day Massacre. Hill. Yeah, they're all there. And now Seth Blatter and the guys from FIFA. Unbelievable. Isn't that great? Because the kickbacks, well, well the secrecy. Yeah, well, well yeah. Deserved. Absolutely. 
I thought that's a sports story you'd like to hear about. Oh, it totally. This is a loaded day. Okay, I know. Like, I hear we, you got a big day. Like Twenty five things that just broke in the last. Holy cow! Okay, okay, what? What are we talking about? First AP or sorry, first coaches top twenty five rankings of the college football season. Yes. Out. Okay. They were released just just minutes ago. Any surprises? Uh, well, if you were hoping for BYU to be in the top twenty five, you'll be surprised. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. That's good to know. So we're not okay. That's great. They did get some votes. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, but three of BYU's I don't opponents think it counts when uh, Coach Mendenhall votes. Three of that's BYU's true. opponents are in the top twenty-five. Okay, that's exciting. That's just validating okay. what we knew. Yep. We're going to talk to a Rose Bowl winning quarterback today, Matt Stevens mm. of the UCLA Bruins. He's a color analyst for. Fox Sports AM in uh, Los Angeles. He's going to give us the insider's edge to the 14th-ranked Bruins, who were picked to finish third in the Pac-12 media poll, also released just moments ago. Wow. They're, UCLA. Come on. I'm telling you. Okay, I, and I'm going to ask him this. I called them the most overrated I know. college football program in the last 20 years. It's because they had a TV show. They have underachieved consistently. For about two decades. I mean, they've had some flashes in the pan. Sure. But the last two seasons, they've had pretty good years. They just haven't ended in major bowl games. Right. So is, is are they turning the corner? We're going to ask them all this stuff today. Good. That That's was my the... dream school, UCLA, until I got to high school and realized I was never going to grow anymore. <laughs> and then you thought, I'll go to BYU. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. Well, we're glad you did, Brian. Well, you, you came to BYU and beat Oklahoma, Brian. I, I Come on! So, I, I, you know what? Out of all the wins... I would have to say that beating San Diego State twice. That was the other school better? That, that recruited you. The other school that recruited oh. me and dropped my scholarship. Yeah. See? Hey, listen, Those are my listen most to this, favorite Matt. wins. Listen Paybacks. to this. What? This uh, kind of fuels my fire for the underrated thing on UCLA. Top 25 finishes for UCLA in the last 20 years. Yeah. Five. Mm. Mm, man. Brian Logan's BYU Cougars. Yeah. Six. <laughs> BYU Backs. has had more top 25 finishes than UCLA in the past two decades. Mm-hmm. How does that make sense? Amazing. Because, right there. because we've got the royal blue. Some people say, well, <laughs> it's because you have a 20-year window, Spencer. Okay, let's go back 10 years. BYU top 25 finishes t- last 10 years. Yep. Four. Uh-huh. UCLA, three. <laughs> Still got them. Interesting. See, this so is the gonna, stuff. We're going to talk about this stuff. This is like, the stuff you bring that nobody brings, but you bring it. BYU player, another one signed with the Kansas City Chiefs. Yep. Another guy, a chance to make 53-man roster. Cool. A little PGA Tour action for some former Cougars. It's a big day. Oh, and by the way, BYU, BYU and Utah's rivalry back in the national spotlight. Really? But we're not even playing. Oh, isn't that interesting? Right. Isn't oh. that interesting? Right when we're back in the spotlight, we're not even playing. <laughs> Oh, well. Funny how things a loaded, that A way. loaded show, to say the least. Okay, Jerem Jordan left on vacation just in time for all of this to happen. I, I think this is exciting, and I'm glad that Brian's holding down the fort. I know oh, you guys yeah, got to go. He's, he's a good man. You Spencer guys got to go the, primp. He found the keys. I don't know how he got in the door. <laughs> Darn it. Next time, barricade <laughs> the door. Barricade <laughs> the door, Brian. I know. I'm going to put a chair there. <laughs> okay, guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. It's loaded. They're locked and loaded, folks. BYU Sports Nation will be coming up at uh, noon Eastern time. Get ready. Buckle in. Uh, we are going to – man, when you think about it, there's, there's a lot that we, we need to be paying attention to. And on the show, we've reviewed some pretty cool stuff. 
we talked, uh, we had a great interview. And if you weren't able to hear our second hour today, you really need to go find us on podcast. Go to BYU Sports or BYURadio.org and you can look up our past shows. You can also go to iTunes or tune in and podcast the show. But you got to go back and listen to the interview with Dr. Diane Quinn from UConn. Great information about how to help people share uh, some of their inner secrets, you know, their demons they might feel, um, their just how to be open, an open listener, and, uh, and, and really be there for the people that need it in their lives. Also, uh, in our first hour, we had a, a really interesting discussion about China. And I would if, – if you sit there and think that oh, China is just going to take us over, don't just listen to the talking heads. Do some research. And uh, for about 35 minutes or so, we spoke with a professor here from Brigham Young University, Dr. Eric Heyer, who is a, an expert on, on China and um, is on faculty here. And he taught us the real story kind of behind what's going on in China. And we talked about a, a lot of different topics. Obviously, many of them are too big to actually get into deep, deep detail on. But go check that out on podcast as well. We, we also introduced a new word today that some of you may not have ever heard of called doxing. Uh, doxing, it's short for documenting or, doc, or dossier, documents, right? Uh, but doxing is this thing that they do. Uh, and you, you saw Donald Trump do it, for example, when he took Lindsey Graham's cell phone number and put it out to the public. That's private information that nobody normally would have access to. And people, when they go and they're doing doxing, they actually post private information, right? It's personally identifiable information, and they throw it out there for everyone to get. And Mia Farrow is having a major backlash because she was uh, she apparently posted – you know that guy that uh, shot Cecil the lion, or actually killed Cecil the lion. Um, she posted his work address. Some people thought it was his home address, which really made him mad. But she posted his work address, and he actually has had to close his office um, because he can't work. Doxing is, you know, the new threat. So you might actually want to worry more about doxing than China. Not to scare you. And by the way, China, they're really good at doxing. (laughs) In fact, they've actually – they did that. If you remember, some believe um, they've been involved in some of the hacking that's gone on in the government. But we've had a great show. And as you know, on the show, we always like to to just wrap it all up with a hero because one of the goals of – for me is that I want you to see that the – the world, no matter how down and out and horrible it is, there is still a lot of light that sneaks under the door and in all of our lives. And we call them heroes. And um, for every bad story you hear on the news, there's hundreds of heroic stories that never get played. So here's one of them. Uh, the hero of the day today is one Coast Guard swimmer uh, um, who basically changed – it went above and beyond the call of duty. Um, when, a, when a call came in to the North Bend, Oregon Coast Guard that a commercial fishing vessel had overturned, the response was immediate. 27-year-old rescue swimmer Darren Harity was lowered into the water but soon realized that the copter's hoisting mechanism uh, was malfunctioning and that he would have to swim all four men to the shore in order to get them to safety. 
And so that is exactly what he did. Harity pulled each man uh, involved in this accident the 250 yards to shore in the dark through 57 degrees of uh, water temperature, five-foot waves at 30 miles an hour wind. This stud, one by one, went back, picked up, the, got the next one, swam him back to shore. Now, they're, you know, they're professional swimmers. In fact, that is their job is to do, uh, to be, you know, experienced and experts in this. Harity grew up as an avid swimmer. He spent a lot of intense training for underwater survival skills in the Coast Guard. He proved that his training um, with the 1,750-yard rescue— and uh, Harity told the KPTV News that it was just him and his muscles with some help from the riptide. He was body surfing with some of these people. I mean, isn't that amazing? A Coast Guard spokesman said that the rescue was a monumental effort, an amazing kind of feat, but that's what their rescue swimmers are trained for. Again, notice, noble, quiet, uh, you know, these are guys that aren't going to sit there and play it up and write a book about it, you know. He's just doing his job. But folks, uh, that's what we got working for us. And, and you notice a lot of times we have uh, we hear bad news about some of our civil servants, about some of the people that are in the police force or out there trying to protect us. But for every bad story you hear of a bad cop, a rogue cop, there are hundreds of other civil servants and and just good, decent people that are doing great stuff. So. Uh, interesting and, and I think, enlightening story of a hero. Folks, that's the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, again, we're trying to help you see the good in the world. And remember that when you're down and out and you're sinking in the water, just reach out. And sometimes you're going to have somebody you'd never expect that would be there um, will be there. And let's make it a point that we're there for everybody. Let's open ourselves up. What if we could all be heroes? And I believe you are in your own life, in your own world with your own family. Just keep your head above water. Keep kicking. It'll uh, it'll happen. Thanks for coming, folks. We can't do the show without you. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more tools. Until then, hug the people uh, that are important to you. Keep them close and make it a great life. <laughs>